Walkabout number two. What's up, everyone? Just episode number two. Seems like 100 episodes is way beyond the horizon. We're just newbies here, and episode two doesn't seem like much of an accomplishment, but here we go. Let's keep going. Uh, if you want to show your support, uh, just follow this podcast or, or uh, some of my other projects like Ancient Light on YouTube, uh, mainly concerned with history on that uh, particular channel. Today, I'm, I'm going to talk about maximizing your time spent on fitness. I'm going to talk about compound movements, what they are, how to do them, how to think of them in a sort of like a really simplistic terms to make sure you're doing everything you need in terms of maximizing your time using compound movements. <coughs> okay, we'll try again. Uh, trying this new app here uh, for, reading, for creating podcasts right off your phones. Um, yeah, so I'm in my own home gym and, uh, yeah, I was talking about this new Facebook community you can join if you're into making your own home gym or getting ideas. Uh, just start it up so you can get in on the early stages. It's called Home Gym Nerds on Facebook. You can just type in home, H-O-M-E, gym, G-Y-M, nerds, N-E-R-D-S, and uh, join that community. I'll be there sharing videos and checking things out because, you know, I have a interest in making my own fitness equipment. I actually make stone landscaping, exterior, interior, uh, workout equipment, like strongman equipment. I've got, uh, right now I'm looking at my collection of, uh, stone items I've created. Some of them are traditional martial arts, karate, hojo undo, various maces and weighted jars. I've got, uh, some strongman stuff. I got a uh, Atlas balls, heavy stones, got a big stone cross here if you've ever seen different strongman events uh sometimes you see those uh on cable you can look up on uh on youtube at different strongman events they're pretty interesting some of those stone items i create i've got giant stone orbs that are connected to chains you can swing those around you can use them as grip work or you can attach them to your belt and perform weighted push-ups i got a lot of grip training equipment as well yeah, so I have a lot of fun with that. I create uh, things. I just like to work out at home, have different options. The equipment I have still in the actual garage. I've got a pull-up rack, a dip bar where I can also do leg lifts. I've got a great uh, back extension unit that's not very big, but it plugs in those heels really well. I've got a great heavy bag stand that I use. I'm a longtime martial artist, and I, I love pounding the heavy bag. And, uh Nothing better than that, quite honestly, in terms of uh, catharsis. But let's talk about something. Now, I was once a personal trainer. I'm not currently personal training. I'm just teaching history and doing stuff like this. And uh, But I'm still interested in the field. I keep updated and that sort of thing. And if there's one thing I could teach people in terms of fitness, in terms of designing your own workout program, is to simply understand what compound movements are and, and its advantages over other things. You can really save yourself a lot of time. You can get stronger. You can utilize more muscles and more motor pathways. 
by using compound movements. Now, let's look at the idea of compound movement and why it's better. What is it better than? Well, mainly what it, a compound movement utilizes many muscles. And so there are certain exercises you do um, that utilize an, an entire spectrum of muscles. And that's a good thing. The opposite of that, the opposite of that is like an isolation. So this is something like a tricep kickback or a, uh, a shoulder lateral movement to isolate the lateral head of the shoulder or a bicep curl or a specific wrist curl for your form flexor muscle belly or a leg extension or a calf raise machine. You know, you get the idea. They're all isolating a single muscle. And of course, a lot of people do those and some people use them to great effect if they know what they're doing or their coach knows what they're doing. You can really enhance your rehabilitation program or enhance your own sports performance or make up for weak points in your own musculature. But I don't want to focus on isolations today, the things like bicep curls and tricep kickbacks and leg extensions, but instead compound movements where you're actually using multiple body parts. And this is what is exciting to me. To me, 80 to 90% of your workout, if not more, should be with compound movements. And people experienced in the field of strength training and sports performance tend to agree with that if they know what they're talking about. And you can just do the research yourself. Look up compound movements versus isolation movements or the benefit of compound movements. The great thing about this advanced age of the Internet is you can look at multiple sources and, and see what other experts say. Not all experts agree, of course, but in terms of compound movements for strength and athletic performance, the experts tend to all agree that compound movements are much better than isolation movements. So let me explain why. Now that you know the difference between a compound movement and an isolation, uh, I'll tell you what compound movements are. To me, and this is a really easy way to classify compound movements, there are three types of compound movements. Just three. That's it. Just three. And you get basically two for your upper body and one for your lower body. Now this doesn't bring into core training and skill training and other things that you'll be doing if you're an athlete, but these have to do with maximum strength and strength endurance gains. Uh, also, if you're wanting to just simply get in shape and lose weight, this is the best way to tax your musculature. So you actually burn more calories while you work out, but also, during your recovery. So listen really close. The use of compound movements are really going to appeal to anybody in fitness, uh, someone who doesn't at least have an injury or what have you. This is important for anybody for, for almost any reason um, to understand the benefit of compound movements. Remember I said 80 to 90% of your workout should be compound movements. This is really important because you're going to save time. So what are the three compound movements that are so simple that I was talking about? Well, the first one is called push. The second one is called pull. The third one is called leg. Some people just call it squat or deadlift because that's, those are the most universal movements for that. So we have three types of compound movements, and there are various exercise for, exercises for those. Push, as you can imagine, the push compound chain brings in the front of your shoulders, the side of your shoulders. It brings in your triceps. It also brings in your various chest muscles and, of course, the stabilizers for that push chain. So it's basically any push motion. 
So your primary exercises for that are bench press, decline bench press, incline bench press, shoulder press. Okay, so your bench press family and your shoulder press family. Also, dips. Dips are kind of an in-between of your shoulder presses and your chest presses because you can use dips to target your tricep chain more dominantly, your tricep, or you can lean forward while you do dips and challenge the pectoralis muscles more often. But nonetheless, there's your push. Those are your pushes. So in other words, to use push compound movements, you're going to do, be doing shoulder presses and bench presses, incline presses mainly, instead of tricep extensions for the triceps, uh, shoulder isolations, whether they're frontals or laterals with dumbbells, um, chest isolation, like pec flies, you're not going to concentrate on those. You're going to concentrate on bench press, incline press, shoulder press. Don't spend a bunch of time isolating your pecs <clears throat> in a pec deck when you could be doing bench press and shoulder press. Get it? Those are your comp that's, that's the secret to your push chain compound movements. Now let's talk about pull. We're already more than halfway through when we start talking about pull movements because your pull chain are just that, your pulling movements. So pull-ups mainly. Palms in, palms out, palms wide. All your pull-ups, your pull-row movements, even your rowing movements, so your compound chain. So what muscles are involved in that? Well, the rear deltoid, the posterior deltoid. We have trapezius in there. We have all those muscles around the shoulder blades and the upper, upper back. We have your latissimus dorsi, your lats, and we have your biceps. So we do compound movements that involve all those muscles that working at the same time. Instead of isolating the bicep with bicep curls. Instead of doing reverse flies for your posterior deltoid or upper back. Instead of tricep shrugs, you know, um, instead of lat sweeps, which I, I do like lat sweeps, but for a different reason, maybe I'll talk about that later. Okay, instead of those, you do pull-ups variations. And you do row, like one-arm rows and, you know, and uh, barbell rows and cable rows. You know, you do your compound movements. Yes, you can go do your bicep curls if you want to, but do that at the end of the workout. You know, and don't concentrate on all your time on bicep curls, especially when you can just knock out two or three sets of heavy pull-ups. You know, if you can already do 20 pull-ups, put a little weight on your belt so you fatigue sooner. Okay, so you get the idea. Push and pull chain compound movements versus isolation movements. Save your time. And I'll explain uh, more why compound movements are better toward the end. And we're almost over. And then the third compound movement are your leg movements. And so that involves your glutes, you know, your butt muscle, your quadricep muscles, your hamstrings, gastrocnemius, you know, your calf muscles and all that good stuff. And even like muscles of your lower back, your quadratus lumborum and core stabilizers. Those are really predominant. And the spinal erectors, those are really predominant with the compound leg movements. So compound leg movements, as you can imagine, is the, uh, the heavy squat. Um, you know, you get up on a squat rack with a bunch of weight, you know, you get your one rep max, you know, uh, you know, at least every two months. It depends on your athletic level. 
It really does. Talk to your coach. But uh, you want to do squats and you want to do deadlifts. Yeah, just those classical movements. Those are key to even bodybuilders. And here's why. And I'll talk about squats maybe for a different podcast. That's a different show, but just a, just a, this is a different conversation. But just to highlight real quick the importance of heavy squats, especially for men, it increases your testosterone levels. Not as much as, say, injecting steroids in your, into your body, but just enough that you start really stimulating muscle growth throughout your entire body. So in other words, if you spend your time in the gym, you know, doing medium light weights, then all of a sudden you start doing squats, you're actually going to see your bicep curls and your little shoulder isolations uh, benefiting greatly from that increase in muscle recruitment, increase in um, <clears throat> what has been actually proven through research uh, to be an increase in T levels and testosterone levels, and naturally so, and not radically high like, you know, sports enhancing drugs, you know, but... Um, but they can boost them quite a bit. Check out the research uh, on that. Um, I know you can go to T Nation, and uh, they have some great information, and they really do cite their academic research on that uh, most of the time. So you can really follow up on that source. So there you go, your three compound movements to focus on to maximize your time, to maximize your strength gains, push, pull, and leg. So basically, why? I explained the phenomenon of muscle recruitment and testosterone production and increase increase of testosterone from doing heavy squats and heavy deadlifts, um, you know, talk to a certified trainer or coach about that, of course. Um, that is a major, major benefit. And you can only do that really in that way with a compound movement, the squat. You can't do, say, heavy quadricep extensions or heavy leg curls or heavy calf raises and get that same benefit of testosterone production with squats. The th other thing you cannot get with an isolation is maximum motor recruitment of your individual muscles. Let me explain. You cannot tax the strength of your bicep to its fullest, to its peak, to its greatest, greatest curve by doing a bicep curl, an isolation. You would think because you're isolating the bicep, you should be able to maximize it. But come to find out through actual research and science, um, the bicep is actually recruited more um, when you're doing a compound movement. So in other words, if you're doing a pull-up, palms back, you know, palms toward your face, and you're doing a pull-up, and if you, say, <clears throat> have enough weight on your body, naturally or artificially so, strapped around your belt, so you do only, say, four to six reps, and you cannot do more than, say, six reps, then you're actually taxing your bicep and creating more growth in that bicep, but also in the compound pull chain much more effectively than if you isolated each muscle individually. Does that make sense? So compound movements, the way the physiology works, the way the body works, compound movements are the way to go. Not only do you get your increased T production with squats and deadlifts used in this way. <clears throat> you also get maximum motor recruitment, so maximum strength gains, uh, maximum actual muscle gain um, for strength, at strength athletes, but also bodybuilders. <clears throat> bodybuilders will want to cycle uh, on and off, you know, heavy, and um, which is more like strength training, and then work with hypertrophy 
in a totally different phase of their training because they're two completely different modes if you want to get really to elite level. So there it is, compound movements. Uh, I tried to compact that all that information into a small space. And so you might have to listen to this a couple times, or maybe you just knew most of it already and just uh, you know picked up a couple things. But hopefully that makes sense. Compound movements are the way to go. And um, just understand the basics of how they work, and you can reap the benefits, especially if all you've been doing is really mainly isolation movements in your own gym workouts in your own strength training or what have you. So, hey, thanks for tuning in. And um, this next episode, I think we're going to talk about developing your own niche, develop your own um, very specific uh, outlets. And essentially, you're to identify your own genre um, based on your own glitches, based on your own abilities and how to find it. Some people would say how to find your will which is really a loaded term. I like to simplify things. Find your niche. Find your niche. N-I-C-H-E. Anyway, um, so thanks for tuning in. This has been episode two of Walkabout. Peace. How to fix the hanged man. How to write a decent college-level academic paper. One of the main problems I run into, I will explain, and when I teach history, there's something that seems to occur with people, and they, maybe they're a good writer, and the analysis, the main uh, text, it could be decently written or well thought out, um, but by this simple reorganization to make your informational paper into an actual argumentative uh, thesis, an academic-style thesis. And uh, one of the main problems I run into, I liken to the hanged man. If you look at the image of the hanged man, um, the character represented um, throughout many interpretations of the hanged man is upside down, usually hanging by the ankle. And I'm pouring the last of the good coffee here. But I have some backup coffee. There's a certain way you organize a college pa paper, and I often contrast it to the idea of an informational paper. You know, like when you're just kind of reporting some basic, banal information on something, and there's no real argument to it, or no main point to prove, like it's just a little quick article to introduce people to a topic. That <clears throat> can be college level if that's the assignment. For example, hey, give me some information on this topic, you know, as an exercise or what have you. Then that's perfectly legit. I have students do that sort of thing. When it comes to a college level paper, you want to think of your thesis as a main argument. What that does is it takes your main point and makes it very precise. And you're able to organize the body of your work around it because your thesis is so precise. It actually reads more substantially. It's it's more of a impactful paper and what it does if you have a very clear powerful thesis it um, it makes it seem like your paper is dare I say more groundbreaking than just some banal informational piece in other words you're arguing a specific point against you know other points for example 
And you just do this by looking at primary sources and secondary sources, analyzing them, coming up with a main point, and putting that in the beginning of the paragraph. So let me tell you, the problem I see a lot, and these, again, these students can be great writers, and they have full capability to organize a college-level paper. They just don't know any better. And what I end up seeing is students who uh, present a sort of a general thesis that basically just says, hey, this is what I'm going to talk about. Here's the general topic. And uh, as I try to zero in on something, you know, from a book or a, some primary source, they're trying to be precise somewhat, but they end up kind of just giving an informational first paragraph. They start giving background information for their primary sources, you know, um, or the event or the person they're talking about. But what ends up happening is this general main point um, sure, it's the, the body of the paper, like most of the text that follows it in the middle of the paper, between the introduction and the conclusion is the body of the work. And of course, that just talks about the main topic, and that can make a good paper. But what ends up happening is when I get to the conclusion paragraph, usually that very last paragraph, the student gives me something extra. Like they come to a conclusion that's actually more precise than in their, their thesis in their introduction paragraph. And so what I end up um, telling students to help them sort of reorganize things is look at your conclusion. If you're revealing very precise information that because of your analysis, it kind of becomes distilled and there's something that's produced by the study that sort of like creates a very precise conclusion. Well, that precise conclusion, that's your thesis. That should be your thesis, and that should be in your first paragraph. And I say should be because that's what makes a typical college-level paper. You have a strong, precise thesis at the beginning. You make it really clear. You don't hide your main conclusion of your analysis. You don't hide it and wait till the end like a good novel. You put it right at the beginning, and so that way, as you're writing it, because your thesis becomes so clear, at least by the end of your rough draft, that you put that right in that first paragraph. And so therefore, every little paragraph that follows it, even if it's a three-page, four-page paper, you know, and uh, they probably should be longer if you're really analyzing a primary source and, and the secondary sources that talk about it. But even in a short paper, it makes each paragraph of the body of your work back up your very precise thesis instead of simply explaining your general main topic thesis that you had before. So if you take your most powerful point, which is often in the conclusion, I have to tell students how to reorganize things. And of course, um, if they're never going to go on in their career and write academic papers, then maybe it's not that important. But if you're going to stay in academia and never write a paper and have to present a thesis, well, I think this is very important. So, to write a college-level paper, that's the formula. Take the hanged man, and the thesis is the head of the paper, your main conclusion, your distilled analysis um, of whatever it is you're studying. That should be the head, and you put the head on the top of the body, and so therefore the body backs up and supports the head instead of the other way around. So don't be the hanged man. Put your thesis, put your head, at the top of your body and let your body validate, support, give life to the thesis, to the head. The body supports the head. All right.
the last of the good coffee. I'm going to go out to the back deck and see how the cat's doing. Probably eating too much grass. And I'll have to clean something off the carpet here pretty soon. It's going to be a nice day. One of the last classes I'll be teaching here in Missouri. I'll be out of here in about two weeks. All right, thanks for tuning in. Peace.